Miracy. okay, this is what a business pipeline looks like and this is what I need to focus on. So if I spend 20 to 30 hours focused on these specific tasks, I'm going to make miles and miles of headway and I'll actually move the needle in my business versus spending a bunch of time kind of doing things that feel like I'm making progress. As coaches, we all want to create a thriving practice that allows us to have a a fulfilling life outside of work. But, you know, let's be real. The traditional hustle and grind mentality can quickly lead to burnout and stress. That is why I am super excited to explore the idea of a 20 to 30 hour work week in coaching. Is it possible to create that work less and still achieve success? And that's what we're going to find out on today's episode. I'm Melinda Cohen, and you're listening to Just Between Coaches. I run a business called The Coaches Console, and we're proud to have helped tens of thousands of coaches create profitable and thriving businesses. And this is a podcast where we answer burning questions that newer coaches would love to ask a more experienced coach. So what does it take to create a thriving coaching practice while working fewer hours? That's the question we're going to tackle in this episode. We'll dive into the benefits of a 20 to 30 hour work week, the challenges that come with it, and how coaches can make it work for them. My guest today is Natasha Ho. She's a marketing coach and growth strategist. She's on a mission to help entrepreneurs rapidly grow their businesses to six figures and beyond. She loves helping other creative entrepreneurs cut their work hours in half while doubling or tripling their monthly revenue. Welcome, Natasha. Thank you so much for having me, Linda. I'm really excited to have you on the show today. And I really want to talk about this because this is a It's kind of a catch-22 that I I get into a lot with newer coaches. But before we do that, would you just mind sharing a little bit of your background? I grew up with the idea of you go to school and you study and work hard and then you get a good job. And so that was the path that I was on for a long time. And I was working my way up through the corporate world and marketing and PR. And one day I looked at my boss and I was like, I don't want your job. And so I was like, what am I supposed to do? I don't want that job. And it was around that same time that I came across an entrepreneur who had started a business called Travel Noir. And she was teaching people all about travel and sharing and bringing a spotlight to Black travelers. The idea of being able to do something that I really enjoyed and sharing something that was really meaningful to me with the world was something that had never even occurred to me. And the idea of being able to be my own boss and start a business was like, wow that sounds like something I would love to do. And so I started experimenting with ways to actually bring that to life. And it took me a long time to figure it out. Honestly, I was working full time in my career and also trying to start this business for about five years and it was not getting off the ground. And then a little thing called the pandemic came along and I lost my job. And so then it became a really do or die situation because I didn't have an income coming in. I had an eight month old baby. We had mortgage and hospital bills and all of this. And I was really in a position where I had to figure out how to make this happen. And that was really where the whole idea of the 20 to 30 hour work week came because I was raising my infant son and also trying to start my business. And so I had to figure out how to do that effectively and how to make the kind of income that we needed to care for our family and also show up to be a mom and also take care of myself. And so that's where all of that came from. And within that first year, 
I navigated through a lot of things internally and externally that helped me to launch my first offer. And within uh, six weeks of figuring out what I was going to sell, I had a $20,000 launch. And shortly after that, I was able to plan a retreat and fill that retreat for 24K and also get corporate contracts for $20,000 plus. And so it started to add up really quickly. And I was able to hit six figures within that first year uh, while also being a mom and working 20 to 30 hours a week. Okay. There is so much in there that we have to unpack. So first of all, completely off topic, but kind of related. You mentioned that one of the things that you discovered was Travel Noir. Zim is the founder of that, and I was in a mastermind with her for a few years. Oh, really? Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, Zim was my inspiration. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. She is amazing. And yeah, she is an incredible inspiration. And when I am not doing coaching, and that's like one of my biggest passions, skiing is another big passion. And with that is travel, just adventure travel. And so I have had many conversations with Zim about traveling and just all that. So that was, I was like, wait, what? Hold on a second here. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. So very cool. That's so cool. And I always love when our passions become our inspiration. And that's really what I heard is you're like, wait a minute, hold on a second. What is this? And, And then that question, how can I, or how can this you discovered the possibility of, yeah, I can have a successful business beyond successful. I mean, you were creating incredible successes with that $20,000 launch right out of the gate with the corporate contracts that you were getting. But underneath what was driving that was this need that you had. You're like, wow, I've got to raise this infant son and I have to build a business. How do I do both of those things at the same time? And that really is the driving force. The focus was not for you. How do I create a successful business working 20 to 30 hours a week? It's like, I've got these two very important priorities. I'm not letting go of either one of them. How do they coexist? And then from that, it's like, oh, let me figure out myself in 20 to 30 hours a week. So it's a very, I find it's a very small perspective shift, but significant. No, it definitely, because I wasn't coming into it with like, okay, I'm just doing this for the sake of creating this much time of work, or I'm just coming into this because I want to make X number of dollars. Um, What you said, it's like, what's the why behind it? And I think that is so often what I come back to for myself and for when I'm working with clients is why are we doing all of this? And if we can actually get really clear on why we're doing it, then the how becomes so much easier. Exactly. The why behind it really helps us to make better decisions, make better choices, make hard decisions. And so I really want to point that out that you're like, okay, I'm raising my infant son and I want to build a business. How do I do this at the same time? You know, I find with newer coaches, especially, it's kind of this catch 22 or this double edged sword. We love what we do. We're passionate Mm -hmm. about it. It's why we're pursuing it. And so often I'll hear coaches say, oh, well, it doesn't even feel like work. I could do all of this and never get paid or I'm spending all this time and it doesn't feel like work. So it's no big deal. But then all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, why am I getting exhausted? Why do I feel overwhelmed? Why? And it's like, we've got to really pay attention to that double-edged sword. So speak into that a little bit for our listeners. Yeah, I think when I was first starting to create the business, I was not really as conscious about how much time I was spending, especially before my son. Like I would spend hours and hours doing 
random tasks. And I would stay up late into the night trying to build the business. And once my son was around, I would try to use every single snatch of time that I could. As soon as I put him down for a nap, I'm grabbing my laptop and I'm working on something. And as soon as he goes down for bed, I'm grabbing my laptop again and I'm working into the wee hours until he wakes up and I have to feed him. And that was not sustainable. I tried that for a while and it was just not sustainable. My husband's an entrepreneur as well. And so I had somebody who was looking at me go through this and and calling me out around it and saying, this is what you're doing. It's not going to work. You've got to find a different way of doing this. The thing that I've found is that people will burn themselves out, but they'll think, well, the burnout is what created the success. So I have to keep doing it at this pace. But if you want to get to the next level, it's really not a matter of doing more of the same. It's really figuring out, okay, if I were to start from square one, how would I get to that level? Because you're going to have to get rid of the old way of doing things to get a new result. If you keep doing the same thing, you're going to keep getting that same level of success that you're experiencing, but you're never going to attain a different level of success. So that was for me what I had to figure out. The level of success that I could attain was based on the old thinking that I had, but I had to adopt a new thinking around it to get to a new level. I love that. I really want to pull that out. And I think for all of our listeners, this is right downable. If you're driving, pull over, write it down, and then keep driving. But what you just said was that you began to associate or people begin to associate the burnout is what created the success. So I've got to keep doing more of that. And that is, it's like, alert, alert. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not what created the success. It's the attitude, the intention, the actions you were taking. And yes, they're in the beginning, maybe there's a lot of actions that have to be taken. Maybe they have to be taken rapidly, or you've got to put that attention and time into it. But the burnout is not what created success. That's where a lot of people's thinking starts going haywire. So I love that you pointed that out. And I find that our enthusiasm, our drive uh, right out of the gate can take us so far. But like you said, it's not sustainable. I remember at the beginning of COVID, you know, I've been working from home for going on 20 years now. My husband, he does not. He works out of his office, right? He goes to work, goes downtown, works in his office with everybody else in their offices. And um, at the beginning of COVID, lockdown happens. Our dining room gets converted to his office. And on the first night after dinner, which our kitchen's right around the corner, He's like, oh, let me go send so-and-so this email. And he goes and sits down at his quote-unquote desk at the end of the dining room table. And I'm watching and I'm like, time out. And I actually said that. Let me ask you this question. Would you get in your car and drive to your office downtown, go up to your desk, sit down and send this email right now? Because if you would, go ahead and do it. But if not, you don't get to send it right now just because your desk is 10 feet from where we are right now. And I watched him stop in his tracks. I could see him thinking, he was like, no, I actually wouldn't do that. You don't get to do that now. Right now is family time. This is not work time. And it was this, you could see the epiphany. And then we had this great conversation about what are our work hours? When are not work hours? So do you set your work hours as a way to help you kind of manage that you're working 20 to 30 hours and not overworking? Yeah. So what you just shared about having those boundaries has been the most important thing of actually setting out. And I, for myself, really do set out specific time in terms of how much I'm going to spend on different activities. 
the thing that was really important was that I had to first identify what those activities were that I needed to spend my time on in order for me to make those 20 to 30 hours fruitful. So it's a combination of setting the boundaries, but it's also knowing what work to do in those 20 to 30 hours because you could fill them with anything and it still not create the result you want. If you don't know exactly what to do in that time period, then you will kind of be spinning your wheels. So I really had to know what to do with those 20 to 30 hours once I set that time aside. Mm, Yeah, that, that makes sense. What were some of the other boundaries you had to set to help you work in this way? I think one of the other things was also from the other side of when I said I was going to be working, not getting pulled into day to day life, especially because so many of us are working from home. And so it had to go both ways. Not only that I separated the time and said, I'm not going to allow work to interfere with my family time. It's also like not letting my family interfere with the time that I said I was going to focus on growing the business. And so I wouldn't, you know, run off and do the dishes when I was supposed to be following up and sending emails or sending messages to potential clients. So that was one of the core things, because I think for me, that was really difficult because I would see things around my house and be like, oh, I need to do that task. Oh, I need to do that task. And then suddenly something in my business that should have taken me 15 minutes to do has now extended into taking me an hour and a half to do. So that was one of the things I had to really focus on. And then the other boundary that I had to set was around the distractions in my day to day of like, okay, if I'm going to spend time on social media to do marketing, then I need to know exactly what I'm going to do when I get on there. So I'm going to set the boundary that I'm not just going to be here consuming and looking at stuff and getting distracted because all of these platforms are designed for you to do just that. So I had to go into it with a a complete plan of, okay, I'm going to spend 10 minutes on this task. And then I'm going to go into this community and I'm going to spend this much time doing X task. And I'm not going to get sucked into a rabbit hole around showing up on social media or getting into my email and getting sucked down a rabbit hole because those were the things that made it so that a task that should take me five to 10 minutes suddenly is now taking hours and hours to complete. Now, early on, is it possible for a coach to work 20, 30 hours and build success or does that only come later? I think it's possible. I think the core thing is that you have to be really clear on what it is that you're doing in that time period. I think the problem that I experienced was when I was first starting for those five years where I was trying to grow a business, I had no idea what I was supposed to do with that time. I would really look at, okay, what do I see other people doing? And then try to reverse engineer based on what I saw them doing. But the problem was I would get caught up in the wrong parts of what they were doing. And so I saw that they were doing these emails. And so then I'm like, okay, well, then I need to be writing all of these emails. Or I saw that they had these really beautifully designed pieces of collateral. And so then I'm spending hours in Canva trying to create beautiful pieces of collateral, not realizing that those were not the revenue generating pieces of their business. Those were not the core essential things that I needed to do in order for me to get my business off the ground. So as an outsider looking in, I had the wrong priorities. But once I started to get more direction from hiring somebody to actually tell me what were the essential parts of business, then I actually understood, okay, this is what a business pipeline looks like and this is what I need to focus on. So if I spend 20 to 30 hours focused on these specific tasks, I'm going to make miles and miles of headway and I'll actually move the needle in my business versus spending a bunch of time kind of 
doing things that feel like I'm making progress, but don't actually create any money or create progress in terms of new clients. Yeah, that's an important distinction, not just to feel like we're making progress, but the stats and metrics to reflect that as well. For me, before I could even get clear on that, I had to break it down into a smaller step. And I had to um, look at the 50,000 foot perspective into the broad, I call them buckets because that was Mm -hmm. just what helped my brain wrap around the concept. And it's like, okay, in any given work week, there's going to be a bucket of, you know, the client getting bucket. What are the activities that I'm doing that's going to move me closer to getting clients? There's going to be the bucket of uh, converting. What am I doing to have conversations to actually convert people into paying clients? There was the coaching bucket where I'm actually working with my clients. And so I had these different buckets and I created that model work week. I learned that I'm an early morning person. The harder things for me, I do early in the morning because it takes more brain power, more energy, more time. So I do the harder things in the morning where things like coaching, that comes so naturally. I could do that in my sleep if I just get out of my own way. And so I do that in the afternoons, right? And so I learned like, where do I work best and where do I put those things? And then I created that model work week so that I mapped it out. So I knew on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, those are my client getting activity mornings. Well, I'm sitting down and the only activities I did in those chunks of time were things that moved me towards getting clients. I love what you just shared of the buckets that you had. I had something that was similar to that. I was looking at the offer first. So really making sure that my offer was refined. The issue that I had the first few times around on starting my business was that my offer wasn't quite hitting the mark. And I was creating things based on what I wanted, but not necessarily creating things based on what the market wanted. And so that was the first thing that I had to get really, really clear on was what am I offering? And so I spent a couple months putting things out there to my audience and seeing, is this resonating? Sometimes some stuff was resonating with a couple people. Sometimes it resonated with no one. It wasn't until I landed on the right offer that I was actually able to create some real progress. So the first piece of it was really getting the offer clear. Then the next part for me was the marketing. So that was the piece from a day-to-day perspective that I was really, really thinking, how do I touch more people? And how do I build relationships with more people so that people will eventually want to buy from me? And so I made specific metrics around how many people I was going to touch on a day-to-day basis, not people that I was going to market to or people I was going to sell to. It was just a matter of how do I touch more people? so that those people can ultimately become people I have relationships with that could turn into a sale. I think when I first was starting, I made the metric that I wanted to touch 40 people every single day. And so that was really what accelerated for me the amount of people that were in my community. And then the community that I grew when I launched, that allowed me to move a bunch of those people into becoming clients. So The first thing was I spent a bunch of time touching more people and starting a relationship so that I could build with them over time. Then the next piece of it was the nurturing. So after I had touched all those people, then nurturing those people through creating content and then also through having one-on-one conversations with them, interacting and engaging with them within social social media communities or in-person communities, and then moving those people into sales conversations when it made sense. 
I love the breakdown that you just gave, just really getting granular with that. But it's those buckets of how do we manage that time, whether it's 20 to 30 hours, or maybe you only have, for some of our listeners, maybe they only have 10 to 20 hours. That's fine too. Maybe you've got more time, but managing that time so that you're being effective with the time you are spending instead of just blindly being busy for the sake of being busy, because that's where exhaustion comes in. That's where resentment comes in. And it's why burnout happens is because we're doing the wrong things in the wrong order with the wrong enthusiasm, getting nowhere fast. So how do you, how do you balance productivity and efficiency during a shorter work week? Yeah. Um, I just love what you said about the the wrong things with the wrong enthusiasm. I was like, yes, yes, <laughs> that's exactly it. And that was the thing that I had to unlearn was honestly was productivity. I had to unlearn that because when I worked as an employee for someone else, productivity was celebrated. The more productive, the better. And there was even, you know, from an optic standpoint, sitting at your desk and making sure that you're at your desk for eight hours of the day was the expectation. And so I had to unlearn that for myself of I don't have to be sitting and working for eight hours if the task that I need to do that's most urgent to move me forward takes me 30 minutes, takes me an hour, takes me two hours, then I just need to do that. And then I can go and live the rest of my life and do the other things that I want to do. So that was the biggest challenge for me was unlearning this attachment that I had to productivity and celebrating productivity and instead celebrating what was effective and celebrating getting data so that I could know what was effective. And so in order to get that data, I had to be willing to take uncomfortable action and constantly just try things versus perfecting everything and seeing, sitting with it and like, okay, I'm going to work on it a little bit more before I put it out there. I'm going to work on it a little bit more. And that, that process, again, eating up hours and hours of my day because I'm perfecting something versus putting it out there, getting the data, and then using that data to be more effective the next time around. So that didn't answer your question, but that was just what came to mind. So I wanted to share it. I have <laughs> never looked at it like that and never made that association, but I'm like, oh my gosh, of course. I had that job, was fired from that job. And when you sit at your desk, look busy, just look busy. Yeah, exactly. like, whatever you got to do to look busy, that's all that matters. And so I really love the distinction you had to unlearn productivity and trade it out to celebrate what was effective. Now, you talked about getting data so you could know what was effective. I love spreadsheets. Sometimes I don't know what to do with the data, but I love the data. Have you always been a data kind of person or was that new for you? That was something that I picked up in my last role. So the last company that I worked for was a startup. And the entire company culture was always around try new things, but get the data. And we always listen to the data. We don't just make decisions based on how we're feeling. And so that honestly was one of the greatest gifts that I had from working there was that it changed my entire mindset around trying things, breaking things, failing, but getting more data, getting more information. So that was something I picked up there. And then when I got into my own business, I had to figure out what do I need to track? So the core things that I was looking at were things like how many people am I touching per day and measuring how many people I had interactions with. I had a community. So how many of those people joined my community? And so I was looking at that. Then I was looking at the engagement metrics around people that were actually commenting or engaging with what I shared on social media or people that actually responded to my DMs when I sent them a message. And then from there, I was looking at how many conversations I was having on a week-to-week -week basis. And then from how many of those conversations I had, I was tracking how many of those people turn into sales calls. 
And then from those sales calls, what was my conversion to actually booking clients? So I was looking at all of those numbers to actually see, but not a lot of people making it to the next step. So then I need to tweak what I'm doing in between those two steps. Or if I just ultimately want to make the number at the end of this go up, all I need to do is make the number at the beginning go up because that will affect the entire system. Yeah. So now again, I love looking at data. And so for those people out there that don't geek out over data like you and I, how do do they, it's like, you just got to tough it up and figure it out or how do they handle it? I think there have to be key performance indicators. There have to be KPIs in your business. That's just a part of being a business owner. I think there's nothing you can't really like get past that part because you're going to look at certain numbers. You're going to be looking at your revenue, of course, right? You're going to be looking at that number. But do you understand if you're profitable or not? Well, if you don't actually know that, you don't know what your overhead, all these different kinds of things look like, what your expenses are. So I think that's a part of your responsibility of being a good steward of your business is that you know your numbers. And if you don't understand all of that stuff, get a community, get mentorship, find a bookkeeper or somebody that can help you understand what these numbers are. But you do have to be familiar with them. And that's the only way that you can influence them is if you actually know what they are. If you don't know, then you have no power to influence them. Can you share a success story of a client who has successfully transitioned to a 20 or 30 hour work week and how they achieved it? Yeah. So one of my clients, she came to be, she's a photographer and she had been previously in a couple different programs. And so she was doing some courses and pulling everything she was learning from all the courses and doing everything all the time. And so she was really stuck in this kind of hustle mentality. So she was sending hundreds of cold emails to people and she was constantly producing content and she was just like getting into this frenzy. So we sat down and actually looked at the data, as we mentioned earlier, looked at the data and we started to understand, okay, well, where is the leak in your business? And so she thought that she just had a leads problem. But when we looked at her numbers, we actually saw that she had a sales conversion issue. She would have like 10 calls and only one of those calls would convert. So one of the things was we needed to improve her sales skill set so that she didn't necessarily need to run around and get tons more leads. She could use the same amount of leads that she had currently and turn more of them into clients. So we focused on building her sales skill set first so that she was more effective there. And then we also started to look at when she was doing all those activities to get leads, what worked and what didn't. So all of the cold emails that she was sending out to people, that was not effective. So we took that off of her plate. The next thing that we looked at was what was working was that she was warming up some of the cold people that she had and then ultimately pulling those people into calls. So instead of her just focusing on getting more cold people, we had her stop doing some of those activities and focus on warming up the leads that she already had, spending more time engaging with them, spending more time just providing value to people so that she could understand more about them and move them forward. Those activities alone that cut out like several hours on a daily basis of all the cold emails that she was sending, we took that away. And then we also took out some of the cold like DMing that she was doing and just following tons and tons of people and focused on who was already in her pipeline, warming those people up. So that was a really huge difference for her. I think that took her from she was spending like 40 something ish hours per week into being able to get down to about 25 hours 
per week in her day to day. And her sales conversion went up significantly as well because she was warming people up better. And she was also doing a better job in the sales call itself of understanding what questions to ask and what checkpoints she needed to hit before somebody would be ready to say yes to working with her. So her sales conversion went up to about 50% versus 10%. And then she also was able to spend a whole lot less time on the entire process. I love it. And for our listeners, you know, they might be sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, I need to work on my sales conversion. I need to work on my nurturing. That might be true, but really at the backbone of what you did with this particular example is you first ask, well, what's not working here? And then let's look at what is working and do more of that. And that was how you determined where to put the attention and that it needed to be on sales conversion and nurturing. And while that might be true for our listeners, I don't want them to get caught up and, oh, now I've got to go pay attention to sales. Like maybe, maybe yes, maybe no, maybe something else is not working, but that's kind of at the backbone. So thank you for sharing that very clear example. And, you know, what advice would you give? I I want to do a quick summary, but what advice would you give to coaches who are considering adopting this 20 to 30 hour kind of work week? Maybe they're hesitant or unsure. The advice that I would give someone is to what we talked about the first, really get clear on why you want to have a 20 to 30 hour work week. What's the vision that you have for your life and how does this fit in? And so whenever I start working with somebody, the first most important thing that we start with is vision because you have to understand where is it that you're trying to get to in order for you to actually create a roadmap to get there. So get really, really clear on that piece first. What do you want your day-to-day to look like? What do you want the parts of your business to look like? What kind of offers do you want to be providing to people? Get really clear on creating that vision first and then get clear on why that vision is important to you. And then from there, I would start to understand who has created that. Find somebody who has the version of your future that you desire and have a conversation with them to understand what they did to get there. So it can be a coach, it could be a mentor, it could be somebody that you pay, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. It could just be somebody that you know, somebody that you've encountered, somebody that you've seen, and you go and talk to them. Or if they're somebody that you don't have access to, if they have podcasts, they like this, or they have YouTube videos, go and study and listen from them of what they were doing when they were at the stage of business that you currently are at. And that would be the fastest way for you to figure out what to focus on instead of trying to figure it out on your own. Find somebody who's already been there and allow them to direct you on what to do. Such incredible advice. I just want to summarize some of the things that we've talked about because we've gone around this topic in such incredible ways. Just like you just mentioned, we talked about what's the why behind how you're doing what you're doing and why you want to have this 20 to 30 hour work week. What's the vision that you want for your life? That really puts everything into perspective. We talked about that double-edged sword of, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. It doesn't feel like work and how we may not be conscious of the time that we're putting into our business because we love it. And we talked about how it's not sustainable. I love when you articulated that, you know, we can't associate the burnout as being what created our success. So therefore we got to do more. Like that's a wrong way of thinking. We, I love how we dove into that and we got into the boundaries. What are the boundaries we need to set? We talked about getting clear on what you need to do with that time that you're spending. And we dove into the nuances of the buckets and the different categories of how we're spending our time. We got into uh, making that distinction about unlearning productivity 
and how that, you know, in the workforce, it's celebrated just being busy for the sake of being busy because you got to look busy to do your job and really celebrating what's effective instead. We talked about the importance of the data that we look at to help us understand what's effective. You talked about how it's our responsibility to be a good steward of our business, to know our numbers and know our KPIs, key performance indicators, just part of being a business owner. Natasha, any parting words for our listeners? I think the last thing that I would say is the part of my experience that has been most meaningful is that I was bold. So be bold in the vision that you have. Be bold in the steps that you take to obtain that vision. And then remember to have fun. More than anything, this journey, this life is so important that you enjoy it. So make room for fun, make room for play so that you can enjoy the process of your building your business and that you can stay in it for the long haul. So make sure that you have fun along the way. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Between Coaches and a big giant thank you to Natasha Ho for this great conversation. You can find out more about her at heynatashaboo.com. That's hey, H-E-Y, Natasha, N-A-T-A-S-H-A, boo, B-O-O.com. And in the show note, she's graciously sharing a free resource that helps you find out what's keeping you from getting your dream clients, a resource called Dream Clients Daily Quiz. Natasha, thank you so much for coming to the show. Thank you for having me, Melinda. It was great to be here. I'm Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. Just Between Coaches is part of the Mercy FM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Self-Awakened Lifestyle and Course Lab. Mishi Lance produced this episode. I wrote this episode together with her, and Cynthia Lamb is our supervising producer. Danny Eney is our executive producer, and post-production was by Post Office Sound. If you want to listen to upcoming and previous great episodes on Just Between Coaches, please follow us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you might be listening right now. And if you like the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. Thank you and see you next time. And so the tailor, having gathered together the beautiful scraps, began to sew. He stitched and he sewed and he sewed and he stitched. And by the morning time, he had made himself a beautiful coat. Now, when he wore his coat into the market, everyone admired it so much that the tailor decided to wear the new coat everywhere. And that's what he did. He wore it and wore it and wore it until it was all worn out. Or was it? In each episode of Once Upon a Business, Lisa shares a fairy folk or traditional tale and then extracts rich business lessons that are applicable for entrepreneurs, coaches, and course creators. Stories always take us on a journey from one place to the next. Sometimes this journey is literal, sometimes it's metaphorical, but always we find ourselves transformed. This story, The Tailor's Coat, originating from Europe, takes us through a literal transformation of the pieces of cloth and yet somehow teaches a powerful lesson. 
It does speak to a common entrepreneurial journey. Many of us start out working for someone else and give them everything we've got. Perhaps the tailor finally deciding to make something for himself is similar to the entrepreneurial desire to begin to create a business for ourselves. We take the scraps, the skills that we've developed, the experience that we've gained, and we launch our own business. I think it's an incredibly important skill for an entrepreneur, for anybody running a business, to be able to know that creating something out of nothing is always possible. And it's often the way forward because it's out of the scraps of what's been done before. It's out of almost the missing pieces that are not quite there that we can actually bring our creativity and bring our determination and bring our vision to create something really wonderful, really brand new and really beautiful. And then we can walk around the town with it. You know, we can be proud, we can step out and we can wear it until it's almost worn out, but not quite. To hear more of Lisa's stories and learn the deep lessons they carry, make sure you subscribe to Once Upon a Business wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you every other week with a brand new episode.